Turn to 2 Timothy and John 17. 2 Timothy, the first chapter. And then we're going to John, Gospel of John, 17th chapter. In 2 Timothy 1, verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Notice that phrase, I know whom I have believed. Let's say that out loud at least two or three times. For I know whom I have believed. Are you believing God for something? We'll say it in connection with that. For I know whom I have believed. Again, for I know whom I have believed. Amen. Are you believing God? Do you know God? Then you know who you believe in. Praise God. Do you know Him well enough to know you can count on Him? You know Him well enough to know that if He told you He'd do it, you've just counted a done deal. Right? If you've got His Word on it and you've already talked to Him about it and He's heard your prayer and granted your request, no need in fretting your little mind about it. No need in worrying yourself. Do you know Him? Hallelujah. He said, I know in whom I have believed. Now look in John 17. Jesus was praying in this passage. And he said this in John 17, 3. He said, and this is life eternal. It doesn't get much more important than that, does it? I mean, life eternal. What is life eternal? That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. That is eternal life. Knowing God and Jesus Christ. Knowing. And how many know you can know God the Father? You can know God the Son. You can know God the Holy Ghost. You can commune with God. And you can know God. Like you can come to know a human person. You can know what he likes, what he doesn't like. Know his preferences. Know his, not just his acts, but his ways. His ways. And you can know him, and to know him is to know life eternal. Because he is life. Now we've been talking this week about the connection between faith and fellowship. We've been talking about how it's a Bible fact that if you want healing, the way to get it is through faith. That your faith will make you whole. Don't care what's wrong with you. Don't care how long it's been that way. Don't care how hopeless or impossible it may seem to be from the natural. What the doctors can't fix, your faith can. 
I said, your faith can. Now, sometimes people say, well, don't you mean to say God can? No, I said it the way I intended to. Because that's the way the Lord said it. You know, when the woman with the issue of blood pressed through the crowd, touched his clothes, and was healed, he didn't look at her and say, daughter, be of good comfort. God has chosen to heal you. The Lord has healed you. Well, of course, the Lord had healed her. But that's not where the Lord put the emphasis. Where did he, where did he put the emphasis? Your faith has made you whole. See, if it was just up to God, everybody would be healed. If it was just up to God, everybody would be saved. Filled with the Spirit. Amen. Victorious. Living triumphantly. Prosperous. Healed. And fruitful in life and ministry. If it was just up to God. That's His will. For everybody. And He's got more than enough power to accomplish it for everybody. So it's not a matter of God's will. And nor is it a matter of God's power. And as we said yesterday, we don't receive according to what God can do. How do we receive? According to what we can believe. So it's not a matter of God's will, for it is His will for us to be healed. It's not a matter of His power. His power is more than enough to do the job. It's a matter of our faith. So our faith would make us whole. So if we're interested in healing, or if you're interested in prospering, or if you're interested in being victorious in any area of life, interested in being successful, finding direction, I don't care what it is, the Bible said this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. So that's a fact. But you know what exactly is faith? And how do you get it? And how do you grow in it? Well, of course, that's a great seminar within itself. Right? <laughs> But I think so many times people are just quick to quote Hebrews 11.1. 1. Well, what is faith? Well, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How does faith come? It comes by hearing, hearing by the Word. Yeah, but do you know what that means? Just because you can quote it doesn't mean you're living by faith. You can have a faith sticker on your car, faith sign on your church, faith sticker on your refrigerator, Wear a faith ring, bracelet, and necklace and earrings. <laughs> Have everybody and their brother and sister and cousins tapes and books on faith. And still not be full of faith and not live by faith and not walk by faith. Be full of doubt and fear and unbelief. We don't need to be so mechanized about what is faith. Don't just chirp off Hebrews 11.1. 1. What is faith? How do you get faith? Don't just chirp off Romans 10, 17. How do you get it? How does faith come? What comes by hearing, hearing by the Word? Yes, but do you know you can hear the Word mechanically and not get faith? There are thousands of living examples. People that are in meeting after meeting and are still just as faithless. They've played tapes in their cars and home and they're still faithless. It is not just the action of the sound of the words bouncing off your eardrum that causes faith to rise in your heart. But if through hearing the Word of God, you get to know Him who spoke those words, and you get to know His will and His desire and His plan, then you Faith begins to rise in your heart. Brother Bosworth said this, F.F. F. Bosworth, author of the book Christ the Healer. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. 
And that's true. You get to know him, know what he wants, know his way, know his will. Well, then faith results in your heart from knowing him and his way and will. And it's not just knowing principles, it's knowing the person. And it's not just knowing formulas, it's knowing the Father. And so we concluded that if we're interested in healing, we just need to get to know God better. If we're interested in more prosperity, we need to get to know God better. Amen. Because if you know God well, and then you're in close communion with Him, no matter what's wrong in your life, you can just ask Him what to do, and He'll tell you. If you're not getting results, you just ask him what's wrong and he'll show you. And if you're close to him and walking close with him, he'll lead you right through every trial and test into victory, right out of poverty into prosperity, right out of death into life. For to know him is life eternal. That's what the Master, the Lord Jesus said. That's what the Word says. Well, we talked some about... a. You know, determining how well we know Him. It's easy just to assume, oh, I know Him real good. He and I are just like this, you know. But that, a lot of times that's just wishful thinking and presumption. And we gave several indicators of how well you know God. We said you can, uh, you can listen to how somebody talks and hear how they talk about God and about the things of God, and you can tell volumes about how well they know Him just by how they talk. We said you can watch how somebody lives. The Bible says if you're living in sin and walking in darkness, you don't know God. But if you know God, you'll be walking uprightly. You'll be doing what's right. You'll be walking in love. You'll be walking in the Spirit and all the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., And we also said that your relationships with other people say volumes about your relationship with God. And that really your relationships with people is a direct revelation of your relationship with God. He said if a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. How can we tell how much you love God then? Boy, that was weak. It's not a trick question. I, if it's so that if I, if I say I love God, but I don't love my brother, I'm lying about loving God, then what's the evidence that I love God? I love my brother. You know that, that it's not just that way, just with love, it's with everything. I can tell you exactly how committed you are to God. It's by how committed you are to people of God, and the church of God, and the work of God. I can tell you exactly how respectful and reverential you are of God. It's how much you respect God's ministers and how much you respect God's people and God's things. Absolutely. See, people like to think that, you know, I've got this wonderful relationship with God, but I just can't get along with people. And nothing could be further from the truth. What we see with you and people, including your family and people you work with and everybody, we're seeing different indicators of where you are with God. Because your relationship with God is reflected in your relationship with people, either if you're close to Him and know Him, or if you don't know Him very well. We talked about, you know, that the greatest experience in life is fellowship. 
That's the greatest experience in life is fellowship. The greatest fellowship in the world is fellowship with God. Well, if the greatest experience in life would be fellowship with God, what would be the worst experience? Being out of fellowship with God. Being, having your fellowship broken. And so we talked about reconciling relationship and, and getting right with God. Job said, acquaint now thyself with him and be at peace whereby good will come to thee. Get right with God and you'll be blessed. How many know that's true? I, I said this one time by the spirit of prophecy. Make peace with the God of peace and you'll have the peace of God. <laughs> Make peace with the God of peace. And you'll have the peace of God. You know, two of the greatest indicators of fellowship just happen to be two of the greatest indicators of faith. You know, without going to the scriptures, you can read over in John 15. You can read over in 1 John 1 and different places where he says, uh, you know, he's writing to them that you might have fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, and these things I'm writing to you, that your joy might be full. You understand, there's no way your joy is going to be full unless you're in full fellowship with the Father. So one great indicator of full fellowship is joy. Another uh, great indicator of fellowship with God is peace. If you've been reconciled unto God, you have peace with Him. Amen. And so we can tell how good a fellowship you're in with the Father by your joy level and by your peace level. And that also happens to be two of the same greatest indicators of faith. If you're in faith, you'll have joy. And if you're in faith, you'll have peace. Over in Romans 15, I guess it is, it says, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Those are indicators if you're in believing. You understand, uh, you, we, we can locate ourselves with these things. Uh, there's no need in kidding ourselves or fooling ourselves. If we're depressed, we're not in faith. No, if you're depressed about the situation, you are not in faith about it. Now, you've been depressed. All of us have yielded to depression some degree or another. Some have yielded a bunch. Some just yield to it and get so low down and just stay there for days on end. But do you understand that yielding to depression is yielding to doubt and unbelief and is yielding to the devil? How many know you're not supposed to yield to the devil? And yet people say, well, I, I, I know I don't need to be depressed, but... I just can't help it. That's a lie. That's a lie. You can't help it is a lie. Everybody say it's a lie. It's a lie that you can't help it. I mean, would it be true to say I can't help but yield to the devil? I'm sorry, Lord, I'm trying not to doubt, but I can't help it. No, he won't accept that. The truth is, no matter how you feel, you can still resist depression. You can feel like 40 miles of muddy road. <laughs> yeah. You can feel lower 
than a snake's belly and a wagon rut. Low. You can feel rough. Bad. But does that mean you have to yield to that feeling? You have to give in to that feeling? No, no, no. Have you learned that you can feel like crying but shout? Yes, you can. That's what walking in the Spirit's all about. It said, put on the new man. Somebody said, yeah, but I'm not a put on. <laughs> People talk like that. Well, now, you know, I, I'm just not a put on. If I don't feel good, I'm not going to act like I feel good. And if I don't feel like I love you, then I'm not going to act like I like you. I'm just not a put on. I'm just real. I'm just a real type of, yeah, real carnal. No. That's the whole point of walking in the Spirit. You know what walking in love is? See, some people think if you're walking in love, that means you've got this wonderful, warm feeling that just radiates out of you toward other people. And you, everybody you look at, you just go, Ah, I just love them. But walking in the Spirit is not walking by feelings. It's walking by faith. And you're walking in love the strongest when your ears are a different color. When your brow is wrinkled. And you feel like slapping somebody. You, you feel like telling them off and... And yet on the inside of you, you know that's not the thing to do. And so instead of yielding to what you feel like doing in the flesh, you pull that back and crucify and mortify that, push that down, and you just smile <laughs> and pray for them. But so you feel you felt like praying? No, you didn't feel. You felt like slapping them. But we're going to walk in the Spirit. You felt like crying. You felt like going in the room, pulling the shades. Locking the door, putting a cool cloth on your head. And saying, leave me alone. But instead you made yourself praise God. You felt like crying and feeling sorry for yourself. But instead you stood up and said, hallelujah. Praise God who always causes me to triumph. See, until you learn how to not be controlled by your feelings, you'll always be carnal and walk in the flesh and be defeated. You've got to walk in the Spirit. And walking in the Spirit doesn't mean you're walking around in a trance half the time. It means you are deciding. Everybody say deciding. You're deciding to do what you know on the inside of you you should do rather than what you feel like in the flesh doing. Praise God. Well, that's not in my notes. Where am I at? Go with me, if you would, to uh, Hebrews, the 8th chapter. Hebrews chapter 8. Everybody say faith, faith. And, fellowship. and fellowship. Does this have anything to do with healing? Yes. Oh, yeah. Because if you need healing, then you're going to receive healing how? By your faith, according to your faith. 
Well, what kind of shape is your faith going to be in? That's exactly right. Depends on, this fellow's listening over there. Depends on how well, <laughs> I know you are too. Depends on how well you know him. Your faith level is going to be in direct proportion to how well you know God. Not just how many scriptures you can quote. Because you can quote scriptures and not know God. You can quote faith principles and not know God. Paul didn't say, I know in what I have believed. He said, I know in whom I have believed. Now in Hebrews 8, there's a great word. This is actually a quote from the writings of the prophets. And we'll begin here in verse 10, I guess. Hebrews 8.10 He said, This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I'll put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. Everybody say mind and heart. I'll be to them a God and they'll be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me. From the least to the greatest. Hallelujah. Let me read that latter part again. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. This was prophesied under the old covenant that this would come to pass in the future. And now today in the day of the new covenant, it has come to pass. And it is available for every child of God. You know, 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful who has called us into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. That's the first and foremost thing we're called to. If you feel like you've got a call on your life to teach, preach, evangelize, whatever, that's secondary to this call. And so I'm called to a pastor. That's your secondary call. I'm called to be a missionary. That's your secondary call. You say, what's my first call? Your first call is to fellowship with God. That's your first call. You know, before you can be a good minister, you just got to be a good man or a good woman. And how are you going to share God with people and you don't know God very well? Jesus taught in the book of John that His whole ministry his teaching, his preaching, his ministering healing and deliverance and all these things, he taught that he said, I just say what I hear the Father say. I just see, I just do what I see the Father do. And he, he's revealing that his whole ministry was simply the outflow of his personal communion with God the Father. He'd commune with God the Father and then he'd just go say what he heard the Father say, do what he saw the Father do, and people got set free and blessed and helped and delivered. There's no such thing as you having a good ministry and your personal relationship with God not being very good. That cannot be. I said that cannot be. Because you minister out of your personal relationship with God. I hear sometimes people talking about their ministry separating it from their personal fellowship. I don't know what they're talking about. Because anything that I can teach and preach is something I learned personally from with Him. 
How can you separate the two? You can't. But you, every one of us, is called to fellowship with Him. And in Hebrews, we have this fulfillment of the prophecy that in our day, we'll not just have to go to somebody and say, tell us about God. But we will all know Him individually. Amen. And he said that he would put his laws in our mind and he would write them in our hearts. Praise God. The Bible tells us we got a new covenant, a better covenant, with a better mediator, established on better promises. Better, 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 better than the old one. And this is one of the greatest ways that ours is better than theirs. If we could reach back in time, and get a, a, a pious, righteous Jew under the law. Just an average person. And, they, you know, drop them in our service for just a little bit. Or talk with them. And tell them that we personally know God. That His Spirit dwells on the inside of us. And is on every one of us. They would look at us in disbelief. Because in the Old Covenant, the people knew about God. But they didn't know Him personally. There's a few people here and there had met Him in situations like the prophet or the priest or the king. And they had experienced His anointing on them temporarily to do a job. But the average guy to say, I personally know God, had a conversation with Him this morning? Absolutely ridiculous to them for somebody to say such a thing. And yet that's the reality we live in. Any of you talk to God today? Personally? You had a conversation with Jehovah? Are you sure? And He listened to you? And talked to you? My. That's the fulfillment. I, I bet you, the prophet, when he, he prophesied that, he probably got through and thought, what did I say? <laughs> they will all know him from the least to the great. Well, they couldn't relate to that then. But you and I live in the reality of it. So we've got a call to fellowship with him. And we've got a promise that every one of us can know him individually and personally. So I want to share with you for a few minutes further today about how you and I can get to know Him better. How we can get closer to Him and know Him better than we do. In, the, in teaching these things, of course, we're not saying you don't know God. I don't know you how well you know Him or don't. But if you're born again, you've met Him. Right? Of course, that don't mean you know Him that well. But everybody's at different levels of fellowship and relations in their relationship with God. Some people know Him quite well. Others hardly know Him at all. But no matter where you're at, you can know Him better. I don't care if you know Him, if you think you know Him pretty good. You know, we, we've read the scripture, if any man thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. 
And just about the time you get to thinking you know a lot about God, you find out you hardly know anything. Because He's so big, and so great, and so vast. How could you even presume to think you know, uh, you know, even half of what there is to be known about God? We don't. Thank God for what we know. But compared to what can be known of Him, we know so little. But we won't get to know Him better just by wanting, wishing it would happen. It's not just going to happen automatically. Do you know you've got to pursue Him? To know Him, you've got to pursue Him. I said you've got to pursue Him. Pursue. Everybody say pursue. Over in the book of Hosea, you might know it. I would have you turn there, but some people have a tough time finding stuff in these portions of Scripture. Their pages are all stuck together back there. But in Hosea 6.3, Hosea 6.3, he said, Then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. If we do what? Follow on. The psalmist said, my soul follows hard after thee. Pursue him. In James, the Lord said, draw nigh unto me, and I'll draw nigh unto you. It's up to us. Don't, don't wait for God to take the initiative to get close to you. He's already taken the initiative. He's already made the first move. And what a move it was. God became man. Came to the earth. Lived for us. Died for us. Ascended on high. Sat down at the right hand where He ever lives to make intercession for us. And the people are sitting around thinking, well, I'm waiting until the Lord moves toward me to get closer. Hey, that's foolishness. He's already done everything. It needs to be done. He's come our way. It's up to us now. How much do you want to know Him? The Bible said those that hunger and those that thirst after righteousness will be filled. You've heard it said, and it's a a fact, that before every great move of God, there was prayer. That's a fact. Before every great move of God, there was prayer. People got to praying. Not just individuals, but whole groups and churches, communities. Got to praying, praying, praying. But I tell you something that was happening and something that occurred before the prayer started. Before every great move of God, there's prayer. Yeah, but before prayer, there's hunger. There's a reason why people start praying. There's a reason why people get motivated. See, when you get hungry enough, it'll cause you to get out of bed early and pray. You get hungry enough for God, you'll miss a meal. Or two or three. Why don't people roll out of bed and pray? And they're hungry. Now we've got all kind of people in this country. They're not hungry enough for God to go across the road to get in a good meeting. You know, I know that during this meeting we've had record attendance. And hadn't had, you know, sufficient seating in the auditorium and what have you. But I tell you, isn't it wonderful to see people hungry? They want to come and, and, and get in on the things of God. Be willing to sit in overflow or do whatever. Just 
We want God. We want God. We're hungry for God. Oh, thank God. God, help us never to lose that. But to always just get hungrier and thirstier. Sometimes people wonder why uh, some evangelists and some people have such meetings in different parts of the world, in some third world countries, why they have such miracles, why they have such things. And then we don't have those things in our church. This is one of the big, big reasons right here. You've got people that will walk three days to get to a meeting, stand outside in the sun all day long waiting for it to start. Well, you shouldn't be surprised that when the service starts, God moves. And you got folk in this country, like I said, they won't go across the block to get in a good meeting. Satiated. They're not hungry. Got to get hungry. You know, it's, it's, it's scriptural and all right to pray to get hungry. Lord, help me to get hungry. Give me an appetite. <laughs> help me. And I'll tell you something else. If you'll put your flesh under and won't yield to all the appetites of the flesh, then your spiritual appetites will intensify. But when you satiate the flesh, it has a dulling effect on your spiritual hunger. That's why fasting can help you. Now people get off and get into extremes on these things, and you have to watch about that. But when I say fasting, I don't just mean missing a meal. There's a lot of stuff you can fast. You can fast TV. You can fast your playing and your hobbies and your recreation and stuff. And instead of doing that, read your Bible. Get, get in the floor and pray. You start living a more disciplined life, your spiritual hunger will begin to intensify. And when it gets strong enough, your hunger will motivate you. I said when you get hungry enough, it motivates you. You get hungry enough physically, you will find something. Is that right? You, I mean, you will get up out of the chair. Your hunger will move you on. <laughs> you are in search of that, which will satisfy that hunger in your soul. And spiritually, when you get hungry enough, it'll motivate you. It'll move you. That's, that's you know, if you get to thinking about it, that's how you are here. Hmm? There probably was a time in a lot of you folks' lives when, I mean, you wouldn't even thought about spending money and time to go to a church meeting. You understand? I mean, that that was not where you were at. You're interested in satisfying the appetites of your flesh. Oh, but thank God now. 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 We're interested in satisfying the heart of the Excuse me, the hunger of the heart deep is calling unto deep. And we hear that call in our hearts. And we're hungry. 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 Oh, God, help us to get hungrier. Hungry enough to do what it takes to get it. Hungry enough to press in. Draw near. And get to know him like we've never imagined we could know him. So that he's more real to us than we ever dreamed he could be. And I'm telling you, when we live like that, we'll live in the midst of the miraculous. Hallelujah. Well, 
there's only one way, not two, not three, not four, just one. Only one way to get to know somebody. Only one way. One way. I hear you saying spend time. And that's partly correct. But it's possible to be around people and not know them very well. No, the thing I'm going to say is fellowship. What we've been talking about. You've got to fellowship with someone in order to get to know them. Now, fellowship literally means, like we've already said, a sharing in common. Sharing. Now, of course, that means spending time with somebody, but not just being around them, but sharing. Sharing the same time together, sharing the same space and place, sharing a meal, sharing ideas, sharing a conversation, sharing vision and dreams, sharing, sharing together in the work, sharing. And as you open yourself to share your dreams, your convictions, your values, and another person opens themselves to share their visions and dreams and values and convictions, you get to know them. They get to know you. That's how you get to know God. Now we're at a bit of a disadvantage here in that God already knows us. <laughs> there's not, the psalmist said, there's not a word in my mouth, but lo, you know it all together. But he's talking about before I say it, you know it. You know my thoughts are far off. He knows us. And here's the, here's the great miracle. He still loves us. <laughs> now that's a miracle there. He knows us. He knows you like nobody knows you. You might be able to snow some people. But you can't snow and con him. He knows you. But do you know him? Or is he, you know, still mostly a mystery to you? Don't be satisfied to hear other people talk about God. I said, don't be satisfied. You know, coming here to school as a young man, I sit in the classes, and I'd hear Brother Hagin and different ones talk about their experiences with God. I could tell God was real to him. I could tell he knew God. But I could only hear that so much until I got to thinking, well, that's all fine and good now, but I got to know Him for myself. I got to know Him for myself. I'm not talking about anything against Him. I mean, that's great, but the fact that He knows Him is not helping me that much. I got to know Him. Now, when He talks about different ways that He knows Him and how He's fellowshiped with Him, then that inspires me for me to get to know Him. And that's, that's what can help us if we see other people that know God better than we know Him. And of course, people that have walked with God for decades longer than we have, they should know Him better than we do. And oftentimes they do. And uh, that should inspire us to get hungrier 
and to draw near and follow on to knowing, to know him more intimately and, and have a greater degree of closeness and fellowship. But, uh, you know, you've got to get tired of just talking about God until you get to the point where you just got to talk to Him. See, so many times people, they just, you know, they, they, they hear somebody else talk about God and their experience with God and hallelujah, praise God, and then they go out to the restaurant after the service and they talk about God and about the things of God and they stay up all night, you know, talking to somebody about God. Then they go to bed and never talk to God. Get up the next day and start all over again. We talk with this one about God and talk to that one about the things of God and talk about God, about God, about God, about God, about so-and-so that said this about God. So-and-so said this about God and so-and-so said this about God, about God, about God. But that's not how you learn about God personally. That's not how you get to know Him personally is by talking to somebody about Him. you got to talk to Him. You can only learn so much about somebody by hearing other people who know them. It gets to the point where you got to go see them. If you're going to really know them, you got to go see them. you got to talk to them. And you know what's surprising? A lot of times after you've heard all these people talk about this person, and you go meet them yourself, you find out, well, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're not like, I, from what they said, I thought they were like this, but after getting to meet them myself, they're not like that. Everybody's conception of God is not accurate. Everybody's perception and their idea of God is not right. That's why you don't need to base how well you think you know God by just listening to somebody else. Just adopting everything they say, every, every way they say He is. You really get hungry for God, you'll get tired of just talking with people about God. You'll get to the point where you'll go, well, uh, see y'all later, I gotta go. <laughs> Don't you want to stay around and talk to, talk, you know? No, no, I gotta go. Why? You're gonna go talk to Him. They can sit around and talk about Him. And I'm not knocking talking about Him now. I'm just saying you shouldn't just do that all the time and only do that. Now certainly we ought to want to talk about Him together. But many people, that's all they ever do, is talk about Him, and they don't talk to Him, personally. And you'll never get to know Him for yourself unless you fellowship with Him personally. That means you talking to Him for yourself, not just about Him. But not just you talking to Him. Do you know if you're talking about another human person and you're trying to get to know them, how well are you going to get to know them if you always do all the talking every time you're around them? It's difficult for them to talk while you're talking. And many have never understood that prayer is not supposed to be just me talking to God. And a lot of times people say, well, that's what I want. That's what I want, Brother Keith. I want him to talk to me. I've been trying to get him to talk to me. I've been fasting and praying and saying, God, talk to me. <laughs> Let me share with you something the Lord taught me about. Years ago, before I ever came to Ramah, I got hungry to know God. That's where, that's where it all started. 
I got hungry. I wanted to know him for myself. And I begin to seek after him. Seek and you'll find. I begin to seek after him. And of course, being more carnal, you gravitate to the natural. And I said, oh, God, talk to me. What, what, you want me to do something? I'll do it. Tell me. Show me. What do you want me to do with my life? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to be? Talk to me. Talk to me. Of course, being more carnal, you wanting to see something. Or hear something with your ears. Or feel something. And I mean sometimes in the middle of the night, find me up praying. Oh, God, talk to me. Talk to me. Please talk. What, what do you want, Lord? What do you want me? Just talk to me. Just tell me. Just tell me. Talk to me. <laughs> Sincere, but carnal. And uh, I remember distinctly. I was in the middle of the floor praying like that for the umpteenth time. And the Spirit of God spoke to me. I don't mean now I heard an audible voice. I just knew inside me distinctly what he was saying to me. And this is how I would say, you know, sometimes you understand things and you have to put it in your own words to try to describe it. But it was like the Lord said this to me. He said, son, you don't know what I've already said in the book. He said, I've said many things. I've spoken to you. Many things you don't know, they're in the book. Find out what I've said to you already in the book. And if I want to say anything else to you, I will. (laughs) So, from that day to this, I've been endeavoring to find out what he told me in the book. Thank God I found out many wonderful things he told me. And I found out that the treasure is, you know, inexhaustible. And so any time that you want God to talk to you, oh God, I want to know you. I want to know you. Talk to me. Oh God, I want to know you. Just pick up the book, open it to any page, and start reading. And now God is talking to you. And if you'll just listen to him talk, 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 listen to him talk. talk. Would you like for God to just sit down and talk to you for four hours straight? Oh, yes. Well, sit down with your Bible and just stay there for four hours straight. God will be talking to you every page. (laughs) And as you're hearing him talk, hearing him talk, hearing him talk, what's happening? You're getting to know him. You're getting to know how he thinks, his ways, his priorities, his values. Right? So important. If if anybody asked me and said, Brother Keith, if you had to pick just a thing or two that you would say have helped you more than anything else to grow in God and to know God, what would you say? I would say, number one, reading the Bible. So you mean doing word studies? No. Reading the Bible. What part? All of it. 
reading the Bible. And secondly, praying. And that's it. Reading the Bible and praying. Now, because people know that, but they don't do it. Read the Bible and pray. Somebody asked you, what great secrets did you learn out there at Ramah? In Wonder Bible in healing school. What did you, what great revelation? We learned that we should, number one, read our Bible. And then two, to really know God, we should pray. <laughs> it's true. It's just that simple. You got people doing everything in the world, looking for something new to do and try and whatever. Listen, just get back to this. And that's how you get to know Him. Now, something else here that's important. You know, there's two basic reasons why you spend time with people. I don't know if you knew this or not. I said, there's two basic reasons why you spend time with people. One reason is because you have to. (laughs) Yeah. They work beside you. (laughs) They come into the place where you work. They're a customer. And so you spend time with them, not because they're your favorite person, or because you even like them, but because you have to. You spend time with them because they're your roommate. They live the same place you do. They're in your family. Whatever. Because you have to. Can you guess what the second reason you spend time with people? Because you want to. I said, because you want to. I said, because you want to. Wonder which one God would prefer that you did. <laughs> but how does it make you feel if somebody's around you and they're, they act like they want to go? But they just, they just keep staying around. And you look at them and say, do you want to be here? And they go, no. (laughs) Well, why are you here? Because I have to be. Do you want them there? No. No, if they don't want to be there, you don't want them there. Does God want you supposedly hanging around His throne room, so-called praying, logging your time, Because you feel like you have to pull out your Bible. You know, just like you, you look like you punched a time clock and you walked in here. Well, I guess I ought to read my Bible. (laughs) God wants you coming to church. Because you feel like, well, I guess I should. God does not want us. Doing anything, not praying a prayer, not reading the Bible, not giving an offering, 
because we feel like we have to. He told us about giving. He said, don't give grudgingly or out of necessity. Don't you do it because you feel like you have to. Don't you serve me? Don't you pray? Don't you do anything? Because you feel like you have to. Why? Because God owns us twice over. He owns us. He made us. He owns us by right of creation. And then when we lost ourselves through sin, He bought us back. His own property. He bought us through the blood. He owns us twice over. But then He takes the keys and hands them to us and says, If you want to serve me, it's up to you. He will not make you serve Him. He will not make you do anything. Not one thing. If you don't want to do it, He'll say, Fine. Suit yourself. Now you're ignorant and foolish if you don't want to serve Him and please Him and do His will. But He won't make you do anything. That's one of the great reasons I love Him so. Nobody's making me serve God. Nobody's making me work in the ministry. Nobody's making make me pray and makes me read my Bible. I want to. I want to. I want to. Why? Because I love Him. I know Him. He's real to me. Nobody's been good to me like He's been good to me. Nobody's done for me what He's done for me. Nobody's holding a gun to my head making me do anything. I do this because I want to. And it pleases Him that I do it for that reason. I'm not in it because of condemnation and guilt. I'm not in it because of money and what I can get out of it. I'm in it because I want to. I want to. I want to. And until you're giving, because you want to. You're going to church, because you want to. You're reading your Bible, because you want to. You're praying, because you want to. Until you're doing it like that, you're not doing it in faith, and you're not pleasing Him with it. No matter how much time you log, or how many chapters you knock off, you're not pleasing Him with it. Real quickly, my time's getting away from me here. Here's three reasons why you want to spend time with people. We said there's two major reasons why you spend time with people. Either you have to or you want to. But here's some things that cause you to want to spend time around people. And here's another good side of this. These things will cause people to want to spend time with you. You know, we've, uh, I have, and my wife and I have counseled with husbands and wives and what have you. And uh, it's amazing how people, their, their thinking is so warped. And of course, you know who people are, don't you? <laughs> and people just so, you know, people so upset. Well, my husband didn't buy me this. Or my wife didn't give me a gift. Or, or you know, that one lady was saying, you know, my husband didn't give me any flowers. Didn't give me any candy. Boy, she was fit to be tied. She was upset. Somebody said, well, she's got a right to be. Are you sure? Here's the question we asked her. She looked like, you know, she was completely amazed that we asked her this. I said, when's the last time you bought him some flowers or candy? She looked at me like, Well, I haven't. And he has. Yeah, he just didn't do it this time. Well, he's way ahead of you already. You've never done it. 
He's done it repeatedly, just missed one time. Yeah. People are so selfish, you see. They don't think about anybody. Well, I'm my, my, me. You forgot me. Oh, well, stop the world. But you know, here's another thing. Now, now, I'm just talking about one side of something here, so you know. There's all kind of different elements in relationship problems. I know that. But sometimes you have husbands and or wives that say, well, you know, my husband is no, you know, he's always spending time with his buddies and he's always doing this. Well, my wife, she's always running around with her friends and they don't spend time with me. You know, here's a revelation. If they enjoyed your company more than they enjoyed theirs, they would be with you. Well, they're supposed to be with me. And after me being with them for a few minutes, I can see why. They want to be with somebody else. Why they go fishing or golfing or shopping or whatever. You know, I've had older people complain to me, retired people complain to me, and say, well, you know, my kids never come by and visit me, and they never come by and see me. I guess I could just sit over here and die, and they never even check on me. They don't care. You know, it's been three months since I've even had a visit from so-and-so. And after they talk for about ten minutes, I see why they hadn't been by. Because when they did come by, for the first hour and a half, they get berated and preached at Why ain't you been here? Why? And they're, and they're going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Granny. I'm sorry, Granny. Yeah, I know. And in their mind, they're thinking, if I can ever get out of here. <laughs> You're not supposed to try to coerce people into staying with you. You ought to work on being the kind of person that someone would want. To be around. If people don't want to be around you, you need to just look in the mirror real long and hard and say, hey, is there some reason why people don't spend much time around me? And a lot of times the answer is yes. People get tired of other folk talk, always talking about themselves. Me, 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 me. What I think, my problems, my de- people get tired of people that's depressed all the time. You like being around somebody that's depressed? No. Well, folk don't like being around you if you're depressed. You you know what's refreshing? I mean, it is like a a breath of fresh air off of snow-capped mountain peaks. What? Somebody that is really Truly unselfish and truly humble. These people are more interested in you than they are their self. I said three reasons why you want to be around somebody or why they'd want to be around you. One reason is agreement. I said agreement. We've already talked about that. Fellowship is based on what you have in common. 
When you like the same things, you're interested in the same things, you talk about the same things, then you like being around people like that. Right? Well, how, you know, how is God going to like being around you? You've got to learn what He likes. How can two walk together except they be agreed? You gotta, he's not going to change and become like you. He's not going to gravitate towards your preferences. You've got to find out what he likes. What does God like? What does he not like? What, what excites him? What delights him? What does he hate and abhor? Learn that. Study that. Meditate on that. And like what he likes. And you can have such a heart that you can change in a moment's notice. You can. You can have something in your mind and heart. Oh, I like this. I like this. And the Lord says, you know, I don't like that. And you go, you know you're right. I mean, just now I looked at that again. And uh, I don't like it at all either. You're right. You can. You can have. You know, the psalmist said, I, I delight to do thy will, O God. I mean, you can have such a heart that you can just change. It's like that. You can be looking at something and go, oh, I, I like that. I want to do, oh, that's what I want to be. That's, oh, I like that. And the Lord says, I don't like that. You just change immediately and say, well, I don't like it either. Just that quick. You can just look at it and go, you know, now that you mention it, I don't, you know, I don't like it either. Whatever he says. You've seen people like that with other people, haven't you? <laughs> sometimes these people are hypocritical and flatterers. But I'm not, I'm not talking about being like that. I'm just talking about being genuine. Just having enough faith and respect for God that, hey, God knows so much more than I do. Isn't this no comparison? If he says it's no good, I don't care what it looks like to me. It's no good. Forget it. I remember distinctly. I was sitting at a red light right here in town one, one day, years ago. Waiting for it to change. And I got a revelation right there in the car. I mean a revelation. And this is what it was. God is smarter than me. That's right. That's right. It just dawned on me. Just like out of the, you know, the light came. Somebody said, now, Brother Keith, didn't you know God was smarter than you? Yeah, but how many know you can know something and you can know it? As I sat there, it dawned on me, God is smarter than me. He made me. He knows what I can do and what I can't. He knows my, my gifts and talents and abilities. He knows what I'm graced to do and what I'm not graced to do. He knows what I'm good at and what I'm bad at. If he says, here, go here, do this, be that, and if I look at it with my natural mind, I go, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I'd like... Just have enough sense. He's smarter than I am. If he said do it, then that's going to be the thing for me. If he said go there, it's going to be the place for me. Hallelujah. Submit to him and realize he is smarter than you. Knows better what you need. What's going to be good for you. What you're going to be good at. Now, another thing that will cause you to want to be around people is admiration. If you admire somebody, you see things in them that you like. Things you want to be like. 
things you respect and esteem, it will cause you to want to be around them. And of course, if people see things in you that they admire and esteem, it will cause them to want to be around you. And the better you get to know God, it will cause you to admire Him and be in awe of Him. And I tell you, if you spend a lot of time with Him, other people's conversation is just not as exciting. (laughs) You still love people, but nobody can hold a candle to Him, yourself included. He's just so brilliant. And so amazing and so wonderful that you, as you talk with him and commune with him, there's just nobody like him. And as you see more, you know, a lot of people, the better you get to know them, the less impressed you are. But not God. I said not God. The more you get to know him, the more impressed you are. And I mean, as you pursue and get to know Him better and better and better, you'll exclaim, the half was never told me. I mean, I thought He was wonderful. But He's wonderful, amazing, beyond description. You have to talk in tongues to even start to say it. (laughs) We're so limited in even describing Him, who and what He is. A third thing that will cause you to want to be around people, cause them to want to be around you. This includes God, you understand. and includes God wanting to be around you. Do you know God loves you? But as we said yesterday, people say this all the time, but just because people say something, that doesn't mean it's true. People say, well, God loves you just the way you are. That's not in the Bible. And that's not true. God loves you no matter what you've done. He loves you no matter what situation you're in right now. But that doesn't mean He loves all the ways you are. And He can only fellowship with you in the degree of intimacy that you are like Him. You understand? He can only be as close to you as you will conform to Him. There's a lot of God's kids. He loves them. He doesn't doesn't play favorites. He loves them just as much as He loves any of them. But just take a parent. Parents can have five children. And they can love every one of those children, one just as much as they do the other. But they can be closer to one of them or two of them or three of them than they are to the other one. Why? Because one of them share, or two of them, or whoever shares their values, shares their priorities. You understand? The other ones have adopted other priorities. That's against what the parents believe in. And so that limits the fellowship the parents can have with the child. Doesn't mean they don't love them. But they're not as close to them. And a lot of times, if they're children like that, and they're maybe doing bad stuff and living wrong, and you know, and they're not, they they see that maybe their brother or sister is closer to their mom or dad, or both of them than they are, then they'll accuse them. Well, you don't love me as much as you love them, and and you play favors, and and you know, people, you can do things for people that are in right fellowship that you can't do for others. 
You got a child that's acting right and doing good. You can buy them something, give them some money. The other ones are, why don't you do it for me? Well, you know they're just going to blow it on drugs. You can't do it. Well, you love them more than you do. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. But your ways, your ways limit your fellowship. And if you want to be closer to God, your ways have to become more like His. How can two walk together except they be agreed? But this third one here is appreciation. Why you want to be around people or why they want to be around you. Appreciation. You know, people tend to go where they're appreciated. You like to be around people that act like they like you. (laughs) A lot of times whether they actually do or not. (laughs) If somebody will treat you important and treat you like you're somebody, treat you like you're valuable and important, like there's something, some, something substantial to you. Actually listen when you talk. Actually act impressed. You'll be back. I said you'll be back. Now here is something that the enemy really jumps in the middle of and works against every way that he can. He will lie to you about how others see you. And in effect, if he can get you believing those lies, then he will hinder your fellowship with them. He calls you to get to the place where you don't want to be around them. Because you think they see you in this certain way. That they don't like you. That they despise you. That they this and that. When that may not be the case at all. And the main area he works on this in is he works on you trying to convince you that God sees you. In a wrong way. It's called condemnation. The devil will work on you and say, oh, you got to be kidding. God don't want to spend no time with you. After what you've done. When God looks at you, he can't help but laugh. When he's not mad. God is so fed up with you. And so tired of you. That it just irks him. He has to look away. And tell the angels to sing another song or something. Get his mind off of you. (laughs) Because you just perturb him. (laughs) Yeah, you're one of his kids. You've been born again, but he don't even hardly want to claim you. That's a lie. I said, that's a lie. It's a big lie. It's a big lie. I know. One time I was coming to the Lord to ask Him to forgive me for something that I, an area that I had messed up in more than once. You ever done that? (laughs) I mean, you mess up in the same area. I don't mean twice. I don't mean eight times. 
And you just don't even hardly want to come to him about it. You know, you just... But you know he already knows, so... Ain't no need in trying to hide anything. And I know I was asking him, I said, now I'm not talking about I robbed a bank or had an affair, alright? Just don't jump to conclusions on me. But just messed up. You know the Bible, Brother Hagin said this two or three times this week, him that knows to do good and does it not. Omission, not doing what you know you're supposed to be doing. That's missing it. And so I'm, I'm before the Lord praying, I said, oh God, you know, forgive me, I'm sorry. And I'm thinking that he's thinking toward me, this is the XX time, Keith. <laughs> but you know what he spoke to my heart? He spoke this to my heart very distinctly. He said, their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. And he said to me, he said, I'm not dealing with you as though this is the XX time, for I don't remember the other times against you. My, 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 my. If you think that God pulls your file every time you come to Him and looks at all the junk and mistakes and stuff, it'll make you want to hang back and not come in. But when you realize the truth, that He's not holding these things against you, He's not imputing your trespasses against you. They were laid on Jesus. He paid the price. You're washed and clean from them. If you confess your sin, what will He do? He's faithful and just to forgive you and to clean. When something's clean, there's no sign of it there. That's why you can come boldly before the throne of grace without any sense of guilt or shame or condemnation. Hallelujah. Don't let the devil lie to you about how God sees you. He's a liar. And listen to me carefully. Don't let the devil lie to you about how other people see you. If you, if you be inclined to listen to him, he will turn everything into something negative against you. Well, did you see how they kind of wrinkled their brow when they looked at me? How come they didn't stop and shake my hand? You know, I spoke to them and they didn't even speak to me. I know I had a student. Uh, it was about a year or two ago. They came up and they had graduated and stuff. And they came up and they said, to Brother Keith, I want to ask you to forgive me. I said, for what? They said, well, you know, I was really upset with you. And I was really mad at you, and I guess I just held a grudge against you for the better part of the two years of school. But God's dealt with me about it, and I got it straightened up. I said, what? What did I do? They said, well, you know, I spoke to you one day in the hall, and you just walked right by, didn't say hi, bye, and that just walked right just ignored me. And I said, I did? They said, yeah, you did. You know you did. I said, no, I don't know I did. See, people don't understand. See, I, I never knew. I never knew they spoke to me. 
You know, you can't have something on your mind, be thinking about it, and be caught up with it. Not even I've looked right straight at people sometimes. Not not even my wife said, "Did you know so and so was there?" And I go, "No." Well, you looked at him. Well, my mind was somewhere else. I know that's real hard for people to grasp that there's something else and someone else around that's more important than they are. They think when they walk in the room, the music should stop. <laughs> but I, I had not one thing against them. I was not trying to slight them. But see, the devil jumped on their shoulder and said, well, he thinks he's so much better than you. He hadn't even got time to stop and talk to you little student, you see. And that was the biggest lie. I said, that was the biggest lie. The biggest lie. But the devil will lie to you about how other people see you. Don't let him do that. I mean, if you think there's a problem, you go to him and talk to him and ask him in a right way and say, you know, hey, uh, did I do something wrong? Or why didn't you speak? Or why didn't you do that? I mean, a lot of times you'll find there's nothing to it. There was nothing to it. The devil just lying to you. Lying to you. And here's one of the biggest problems. A lot of times, the way people see their self is the way they think everybody else sees them. And they got a lousy self-image, got no self-esteem, and so they just assume everybody else thinks I'm, you know, like dirt too. And it's lies. 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 you got to quit believing the devil's lies about yourself, and you got to quit believing lies that he's telling you that other people's believing about you. you got to quit believing his lies about God, how he sees you. you just got to quit listening to his lies, period. And listen to the truth, and the truth will make you free. Can you say amen? This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.